Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. And hello and welcome. This is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist. This is our first broadcast of the Candida Chronicles. And we're going to cover any questions anyone has in the audience. You can email me at any time at drb at health-truth.com. And we will look over the questions. And towards the end of the broadcast, we're going to be going over the better questions that we get from you guys. First thing I want to cover today, though, is a question lots of people have, which is, what is candida? Well, candida is a very interesting organism that lives in the intestinal tract of all mammals. It is a organism which is referred to as dimorphic. The word dimorphic means to be able to live in two different states. Candida is both a fungus. We've all seen funguses. We typically see funguses and molds growing into bread and cheese and, and whatnot. But candida is also a yeast. Women would be familiar with that when they have a a yeast infection, which is a very irritating thing to have. So candida can exist in these two different states, both as a fungus and as a yeast. And this is what makes it a difficult organism to deal with because its mechanism for survival has always been that if it's not able to live as a yeast, it will switch itself over to a fungus. It becomes very resistive to medications because of this. This makes it a very difficult organism to kill. Now, when you're dealing with candida, one of the first things you have to um, address is the fact that it can be very resistive to medications. And because of that, you have to treat it in a very particular manner. You must use medicines in a rotation style, which is something that my particular treatment plan has become famous for. A rotation style means that you would take a medicine for a specific period of days. You would then stop the medicine and then switch to another one to prevent the candida from becoming drug resistant. Candida seems to become drug resistant after a period of about 21 days. That's how long it takes before it begins to become drug resistant. So if you're taking any medicine for 21 days or more, you have the possibility of developing a drug resistance with the candida. And this is why I said again on our program, why any antifungal we use, we will typically rotate anywhere between four days to seven days. For those of you who are not aware, 
of candida and, and what it can cause, because it's a, a mold slash fungus slash yeast, it excretes toxins that are called mycotoxins. These mycotoxins have a particularly bad effect on your immune system. They can trigger numerous immune reactions, allergic reactions, and autoimmune reactions. If you look on our website, health-truth.com, and look at some of the articles that cover symptoms of candida, you'll see that there are easily 150 different symptoms that you can have you can have of candida, depending on how you want to count them or split them up. The symptoms range anywhere between digestive problems to fatigue to all types of allergies, skin reactions, eczema, psoriasis. Uh, it can cause um, numerous menstrual problems and it's also interestingly enough known to be aggravated during certain parts of the menstrual cycle. It can cause you to react differently in different environments, meaning that if you entered a moldy environment, you could have allergic reactions to that environment that someone who did not have candida would not have. So this makes it very confusing. This is why uh, many physicians who've written books about it and who have written about the subject will call it a, a scourge of the 21st century because it's so elusive. Unfortunately, when you go to your medical doctor, your medical doctor doesn't know of candida in the manner in which you will read about it on the internet. If you go to your doctor and you tell him that you suspect you might have candida, he's most likely to look at you cross because his knowledge of candida is usually limited to patients with AIDS or with cancer who are terminal and who develop candida as a thrush infection which is a, a furry painful infection in the mouth and in the tongue and that usually signals that the person is terminally ill and doesn't really have that much longer to live so he'll look at you and you'll look relatively healthy to him and you're complaining of bloating or gas or skin rash or allergies and he's apt not to take you very seriously because you don't meet his criteria for having candida. And this of course will cause a lot of confusion. My introduction to candida is an interesting story in itself. Uh, back in the late 80s after I had graduated from naturopathic school I was working with a team of researchers at Grumman Aerospace, the very same team, by the way, that developed the life support systems on the lunar module. That was the craft that actually landed on the moon for you young people who uh, are not aware of that. And um, these doctors and myself were developing a computerized system which would analyze a person's blood work and different other chemistries in order to do a mock simulation of their body to follow their physiological pathways in order to determine what nutrition the person needed. The original intention of using this computer program was for the astronauts in the space stations when they were on extended journeys in the space station so we could keep their calcium levels normal and their protein metabolism normal so they wouldn't have excessive bone loss or muscle loss. Well, after a while, the project became a bit too expensive. This was after several years, and the project was eventually dropped by NASA, which means Grumman then dropped it. And we were left with this mass amount of data that we had, which we, we kept, 
and we started to use privately in our practices. Well, this uh, computer program actually still exists. It's called BioCybernetics. Bio for biological and cybernetics, meaning the study of self-regulating mechanisms, which the human body is. So when you look at the, the name BioCybernetics, it's the definition would be the study of biological systems which are regulating themselves, and this is what the human body is. In our practices, the doctors who were using this system were getting very good results with people coming in with all types of maladies and ailments. The computer would indicate what nutrients they were deficient in or having difficulty with. It would come up with a plan of nutrients for them to take, and they usually did quite well. However, there was about a 30% of this population who not only didn't do well but who had bad reactions. These people would take the recommended vitamins and the supplements and they would appear to either have the opposite or reaction or give them some type of toxic reaction. So I was the one who volunteered to try to find out why this 30% of the population was reacting this way. Uh, I literally took all these patient folders and had them on, uh, on my desk. It was like a huge pile. You couldn't even see me behind all these folders. But I went through these patient folders looking for common points, similarities in their cases that might explain to me why they were not tolerating these nutrients. Well, I ended up finding out that all of these people had one thing in common, which was there was some type of intestinal imbalance, some type of intestinal infection. Back in those days, this is probably around 1987, uh, there wasn't really much known about these conditions. Fortunately, I was friendly at that point with the laboratory in North Carolina called Great Smokies Labs, which now is known as Genova Labs. And I approached them with this problem, and they offered this, the solution that most likely these patients had candida. Now, I didn't really know what candida was at that time. I knew theoretically from being in school and reading textbooks about the intestinal environment that there was a fungus that was typically found there that was normal to find there in small amounts called candida. But other than that, I didn't know anything else about it. Um, I had heard a song on the radio once called Candida, which was, uh, I forgot the name of the author, but that was popular at one time. That was about my entire knowledge of candida. So what I did was, is I told these patients, I said, well, we believe you have this fungal in, uh, intestinal infection that's called candida. Uh, please go to your doctor. This is how naive I was. Go to your doctor and tell him you have this, and he needs to cure you of it, and then come back to us, and then we'll put you back on the, the program. Well, you can imagine the reaction we had. These people went to their doctors and they said, well, the, the nutritionist told me I have candida and you have to cure me of it so I can go back and take the vitamins that they're giving me. Well, that didn't work out too well. Uh, most of the doctors told the patients that there was no such thing as candida or there was no such uh, related illness and you're wasting your time. So they came back and reiterated these stories to me and uh, what I then did was I told them to go see some of the alternative physicians that were popular in Manhattan, because that's where the, the practice was. Uh, there was Ronald Hoffman, Dr. Robert Atkins, uh, quite a few. 
and I told them go to these doctors tell them that you have candida they'll understand because they know about this they've written articles about this you see and uh, tell them that they need to treat you and then come back well a month or two later these patients came back and the response was a bit better you see um, these doctors were definitely there and admitting there was this thing called candida and they did attempt to treat them and the people had varied results they got better to a degree for a while but then ultimately relapsed and were back in the same situation so after a, about a year of this I then decided it was time for me to find out what this candida was and see if I could figure out how to treat it and that's essentially where we are today all those years later we evolved our method of candida treatment which many of you know of and most of what we learned in those early days we learned from our patients in actuality patients would come and they would tell me things which were very insightful one of the key things that I heard from patients was that they were taking the medications the doctor gave them they felt better for a while but then they relapsed so with that knowledge from the patients I went to the, the textbooks to learn why this was and I learned very quickly that candida is a very resistive organism this goes back to what I said earlier about the method and style that we treat candida needs to be done in, in a rotation style so the person is not taking the same medication over and over again for 21 days or longer which causes the candida to develop a drug resistance so this was one of my first clues in how to treat it which luckily enough I learned from the patient from listening to them and I was able to find the hardcore evidence of it by referring to the medical textbooks we also learned that the diet needed for candida is not always the same in everyone some people are more reactive to diet than others particularly people who consume a lot of fermented foods we found would be more allergic in general than people who didn't now the interesting thing about fermented foods is candida as a fungus or a yeast living in your own intestinal tract ferments the, the carbohydrates and the sugars that you eat and the different isolated forms of fermentation that it causes the body will develop allergies to so in that any food that you consume which is allergic oh I'm sorry which is fermentive let's say it's a sauerkraut or tofu or anything that undergoes fermentation including alcohol and beer because it's fermented the body has the same allergic reaction as it would to the actual fermentation going on within your intestinal tract so whether or not a person can follow the same diet as another patient with candida is something that's only left up to actual trial and error there are certain basic rules for all diets that deal with candida but there isn't one that fits all um, as a matter of fact this is a very common question we get in the practice of what is the the best diet for candida this is something we're going to cover in a future podcast in detail but today being that we're just covering the basics of this subject um, what I would say is that ultimately the diet for candida which works in most all patients is always going to be a diet low in carbohydrates and a diet low in sugar that's the one common denominator that you will have in all candida diets and by the way let me just take a, a second 
Um, to remind everyone out there that I'm going to be answering questions, you can email me the questions during this broadcast at drb at health-truth.com. That's drb at health-truth.com. Email your questions in, and then towards the end of the broadcast, we'll go through them, and we'll be answering them. So the diet that we would use for candida ha always has the common denominator of being low in sugar, low in carbohydrates. More specifically for individuals, it will vary depending on the person, their digestion, other idiosyncrasies about them. There's also, besides listening to the patient, there is a lot that you can actually learn from textbooks on mycology and candida if you actually read them, which is not something that many practitioners have done. I've made a, a bit of a collection of texts on friendly bacteria, how it functions in the intestinal tract, and on different microorganisms, parasites and candida, since they live together and interact. And it's very interesting to read some of the material in these texts and then actually see it in the daily life of the patient and how it affects him, you find that there's um, always a bit of a variation on these things. It never quite holds true to what it will say in the textbook. The symptoms are or the effects are, but it will vary person to person depending on that person's own genetics and their own ability to resist the candida and deal with it, which is a, this is a quite an interesting study. A key thing that I learned, which as, as a basic, since we're covering basics, is applicable to everyone who has candida, is that friendly bacteria, which are, which are the probiotics that are sold in the health food stores, these products are not generally accepted by a person who has candida very well. Now this is not something that the people who sell probiotics are going to want to tell you. But this is something that I've learned firsthand from experience. Uh, I've had much experience in giving people probiotics who've had candida and a lot of disappointment in doing so. Back in the early 90s, I was partnering, as I said, with the Great Smokies Labs, and we did a little study within my practice on our patients. We had the patients submit stool samples at no charge every week in order to follow their progress with the probiotics they were taking. And I can tell you that after about eight or nine weeks of these patients submitting stool samples, we did not see any growth of these probiotics that they were taking in the stool results. And th this is very disheartening, of course. So we had people taking rather expensive probiotics and because their stool samples showed they did not have any probiotics that were traceable in the stool sample when it was tested, uh, th this was quite a disappointment. Well, what we eventually did was we started to give the people probiotics with antifungals. And then within about three weeks, which would be three samples, considering they're, they're submitting one sample per week, in about three weeks, we then started to see people showing probiotics now in their stool samples. So this is one that would make you scratch your head. Now, the reason for this is very simple. 
Um, I will now tell you what it took me 20 years to learn in probably under a paragraph. As long as the person has candida overgrowth, the probiotics that you spend all your money on and that you're taking are not going to stick to the lining of the intestinal tract because the candida and the other bad flora that's resonant there repels it. So if you were thinking of this in terms of a game of musical chairs, perhaps, uh, you have the probiotics there, and as the music is playing, they're walking around the, the chairs hoping to get a seat. But unfortunately, the candida is much too fast for them, and before they're able to jump in a chair, the candida does it before them. So essentially, the, the probiotics are repelled by the candida, which has attached itself to the lining of the intestines. And as long as the candida lives attached to the lining of those, that intestinal tract, the probiotics that you're taking, even though they may cause you some benefit or some feeling or sense of relief while you're taking them, they're not going to stick to the lining of the intestines. They're not going to supplant or eliminate the candida. They're essentially going to go in one end and out the other. At the time when I was working with the Great Smokies lab and we were doing these tests, at that point when we gave them antifungals, why that worked was because the antifungals were destroying some of the candida, enough of the candida to allow room or space to then uh, be available for the probiotics now to occupy. So you, you, the basic law of the universe is you cannot have two let's say two subjects or two particles occupying the same space at the same time. And th this was never more true when it comes to candida and probiotics. Once we started to see this and we started to see that the probiotics were taking the, were, were growing or, and taking up some inhabitants there, we then knew that the use of the antifungals was absolutely essential. And we then could not expect to imagine anyone being cured of candida by simply taking probiotics. This is a myth on the internet now, which is still being perpetuated, that if you take probiotics because probiotics essentially inhibit the growth of candida, and in your own intestinal tract, probiotics are the thing responsible for inhibiting the growth of candida, therefore taking the probiotic would eliminate candida. Well, there's a, the missing step there is that once you have candida, the probiotic is not able to eliminate the candida. Once you have candida, you must eliminate candida through other means. The mean that we're going to choose to emphasize, because this is what we found works, is the use of antifungals. And then once the antifungal has eliminated the candida, then the, can the probiotic has the opportunity to grow. Now prior to me doing a lot of this research, I was of the mind, which many physicians still are, that if you strengthen the immune system and if you normalize the person's physiology, the candida will just go away and it'll be gone and then you could go about your normal business. Well, I, I tried that approach for many years and I can tell you that my success with that approach was just horrible. I had very poor results. And the manner in which I was going about this was actually quite sophisticated. We were using that biocybernetics system that I talked about earlier in the show. We used this to assess the person's immune system, to assess all their deficiencies, 
and the programs that we were putting the, the people on, which were meant to be restorative to correct their imbalances in their immune system and whatnot, were extremely sophisticated and should have been very effective. The problem here is uh, one that's kind of simple. Candida is a plant. This is what people don't get when you're dealing with the subject. Candida is not a germ. It's not a virus. It's not a bacteria. Uh, it's not even a parasite in that sense. It's a plant. It is vegetation. And as such, it grows a root system which pierces the lining of your intestines. It grows into your tissues much like mold grows into bread or mold grows into cheese, you see. So it's unreasonable to assume you're going to get rid of candida by simply optimizing a person's metabolism, which uh, some of the mechanisms that doctors will quote will occur here is that you'll normalize the pH throughout the body and this will help get rid of the candida. Well, this I can tell you I have not found this to be true. In the 25 years that I've been specializing in candida, the only method that I have found to be effective in actually eliminating it is the one that I currently offer and I write about it on my, on my website. And the, the, the basis of this is that if the body was able to get rid of candida on its own by neutralizing the candida, adjusting the pH, boosting the immune system or whatever, the body would have done this already and it would be over with. Uh, taking all types of immune boosters I've never found get rid of candida. And Once a person understands more the mechanism of how candida grows, lives and survives in your body, this is much better understood. Uh, again, the, the best way to align it for people who aren't experts in this field is if you can imagine having a plant growing in your body now, take, I don't see how taking vitamins and taking things that are going to boost your immune system are going to help to remove vegetation, which is physically growing in your body. Candida is very similar to cancer in this way. Um, the, the, the similarities that cancer and candida have, one is that they're both very responsive to sugar. Sugar feeds cancer cells and makes them grow and spread violently because the sugar is a high-powered fuel cancer cells have a very high metabolism and the, sh the cancer is able to accept the sugar and use it to grow and spread. Candida is very similar. Can the ideal food for uh, candida are different sugars, particularly maltose, which is found in beer, which is a malt sugar. This just makes candida grow very effectively. Both candida and cancer grow into your tissues. We all know that cancer eats away healthy tissue, which is part of its disease process. Well, candida is virtually the same thing. So much so that candida actually is the element which decomposes your body when you pass on. When the bo human body dies, the primary thing that decomposes the human body is candida, which as a natural inhabitant of the body had been sitting there when the person then passes away and they have no immune function or no defenses, then that candida literally grows uh, to whatever degree it needs to to decompose the body. So in that way, the candida and the cancer are very have, have this in common. So this is why I have found, and I think other, other, there are many other physicians out there who would agree who have enough experience, 
that taking programs that seek to boost the immune system or raise your adrenal function or whatnot are not programs which are ever going to get rid of candida. At best, what they will do is two different things. One thing they could do is they could assist a program like mine in getting rid of the candida. I'll give you an example, a typical example here. If someone has a deficiency of stomach acid, increasing their stomach acid to a normal level will help the body get rid of candida because the acid in the stomach is one of the first lines of defense and one of the first regulators of the pH system in your digestive tract. Um, thyroid problems are another issue. People with low thyroid are much more susceptible to candida and while boosting or normalizing your thyroid is not going to get rid of candida, it would assist and make a program like mine much more capable of doing its intended job of killing the candida. So these types of programs are best as an adjunct to candida elimination, but they are not going to be significant in their own right to eliminate candida. It's, it, this is still, though, a very controversial uh, area the whole subject of candida. Um, back in the early 80s, when I first was learning about candida, I was very interested in how orthodox medicine responded to doctors at that time who were beginning to write about candida. Once I had some experience with candida myself and I saw how hard it was to eliminate, I was a bit more um, understanding that an average medical doctor who sees uh, a few patients within a five or six minute period really doesn't have time to go over in depth the diet of candida and the treatment and how the person may have allergic reactions as the candida dies. This is something we call die-off. So it was a bit more understanding as to why there would be some reluctance on their part to accept the whole concept of candida. It wasn't until I became somewhat known as a candida practitioner, someone who was getting better than average results and dealing with it, I was asked to come on CW Post radio station. This is the college radio of CW Post in, uh, in, in Long Island, in, uh, somewhere in Nassau County, I forgot exactly where. Um, but the concept that the, the narrator had was he wanted to bring me on to talk about candida, but he wanted to have an orthodox medical doctor come on. And the doctor was there supposedly to speak for the orthodox medical side and to give their side of the story. And the, the narrator's um, viewpoint uh, of this was he more wanted to have the doctor there to try to explain why is it that they don't acknowledge this and they don't do something about it. Uh, not so much to validate their side, but to give people their side of the story and to hear where their problems were dealing with this. Well, I think that the narrator was being very kind in terms of how he was viewing their, uh, their, their viewpoint about this subject. Um, I came quite prepared because I know how certain medical doctors can be in dealing with the subject of candida. I came on the show with a series of medical textbooks uh, these are medical textbooks which are very typical, typically found in any uh, medical program, regardless of what college the person goes to. These texts are universally used. And I had the forethought to take some big paper clips 
and I put the paper clips in the different pages where the books discussed Candida, specifically what it was, how it reacted, what symptoms it caused, what the recommended treatments were, etc. So I came on the show and I sat down. The, the doctor who they had on the show opposing me, I, I cannot tell you his name for you know perhaps legal reasons, but what I can tell you is that he was very well known in the community in those days. He was a medical doctor who allegedly was a quack buster or a quack watcher. So he particularly headhunted alternative practitioners and talked about uh, their illegitimacies to the public, let's say. And this fellow also happened to be a lawyer. So he was a medical doctor and a lawyer. And I believe he was a psychiatrist of all things. So um, I came on the show and they, they introduced us. And then the narrator first gave this medical doctor his chance to speak. So he asked the medical doctor, what do you think of, you know, Candida? Have you read the articles about it and what people are saying? And what's the medical community's viewpoint on this? Well, this, this fellow went into a rant about how there is no such thing as Candida. It's all something invented by chiropractors. And uh, went on and on about this. And there it's a scam. And these chiropractors are just taking money from these people and... On and on. So the f I had to interrupt him, and I had to, because he kept looking at me every time he said the word chiropractor. So I, I turned to the, I interrupted him, and I said, "Excuse me, Doctor Blank, but uh, I'm not. Just so you know, I'm not a chiropractor. I'm a certified clinical nutritionist. I'm certified by New York State to practice clinical nutrition. I also have a degree in naturopathy, but I am not a chiropractor." Well, that's that's threw him a bit because he was convinced that I was a chiropractor. He really thought that he was coming on to show to deal with this chiropractor that was on there. Well, uh, as it turns out, he went, went into his speech. And when he was finished, the narrator then turned to me and said, well, uh, Dr. Biamonte, can you tell me what your position is on this? So what I did is I picked up the book, one of the books I had, and I turned to the page where it discussed Candida. And I asked the doctor first, I said, doctor, do you recognize this book? And he says, yes, of course. I said, is this a legitimate book? Would I trust any material that I read in this book? He said, well, of course, this is a, a textbook that's standard in all medical uh, educations. And, he, and then he pointed to those other, the other books I had on the table. And he says, and by the way, those other books you have there, too, these are all very typical books that we use in medical school. So I said, all right, thank you. And I just turned to the page and I started reading aloud what the textbook had to say about Candida. The textbook went on to talk about how it was a fungus, how it was typical to find in one's intestinal tract. It was responsible for vaginal yeast infections. And it went on and on and on and on. And the same, covering some of the same material we covered in the beginning of this broadcast. Well, this fellow actually became livid. He started to interrupt me. He started to actually yell and scream. We, he was going, what are you talking about? That, that, that's not what that book means. They don't mean that what you're talking about is true. So I said, well, here is, here is what it's saying. It says that candida, first of all, does exist. It's normal to find in your intestinal tract. It causes physical illness. No, that's not true. That's not what they mean by that. You're twisting everything. You're twisting everything to suit your own means here. Well, so I said to the 
turned to the narrator and I said, well, sir, what do you think this means? How, how would you interpret this material? And he said, well, it sounds to me like it's talking about this candida causes illness and disease. Well, this medical doctor went so ballistic that he actually stood up and left the studio. He really could not handle, uh, it, it seemed, being confronted by the truth, especially when the truth was in the own books and journals that he purported to be uh, gospel, let's say. And that was my one of my earlier experiences in dealing with medical doctors in Candida, which uh, I have to admit that was a, a, a very different and unique experience, and I haven't really had too many that have topped that one yet. So we're going to take this opportunity. We're getting a lot of questions coming in here by email. We're going to take the opportunity now to answer a few of them. Okay, give me a second. Here we go. Uh, Here's a question. This this question, um, this person says, uh, Dr. Biamonte, I had taken caprylic acid for many years to keep my candida under control, and I've noticed in the last few years that it's become much less effective, and I even wonder right now if it's doing anything to control my candida symptoms, as my candida seems to be as bad as it was initially before I started taking the caprylic acid. What do you think the reason for this is? Well, as I said earlier, candida is a very um, drug-resistive, potentially, organism. And when, when someone takes a medicine for candida, longer than 21 days, the candida begins to become resistive to that medication. And that holds true whether it's a pharmaceutical or whether it's a natural substance like uh, the caprylic acid would be. So you mentioned here that you've been taking the caprylic acid for a few years. Um, I don't see that you mentioned that you, have, you had taken the caprylic acid in any type of rotation or along with any other type of antifungal. I'm going to assume you've been taking, and you can email me this quickly if you'd like. So I'm sure your email will come in pretty, pretty, pretty quick. But I'm assuming you've been taking this caprylic acid ongoing for, for years without any particular break or at any break in the sequence. So what I would assume is that your candida has become drug resistant to the caprylic acid. How this works, many people ask, how, well, how exactly does that happen? And it's different in candida, in the case of candida, than with other types of infections or, or microbes. All of us have heard about um, bacteria becoming drug resistive and the bacteria then turning into like super strains of candida, uh, I'm sorry, of bacteria, which are not uh, handled by taking antibiotics, or they, the amount of antibiotics which then are effective lessen. Well, with candida, it's a bit different. Candida actually has two types of cells. It has what we refer to as mother cells and daughter cells. If you can imagine the candida growing in your intestines like this big piece of broccoli, the mother cells are the older cells and the established cells, which then from them you get cells that are budding cells, like if you look at it on a tree and you see the buds growing. Those buds are the daughter cells. The mother cells of the candida, and this is by the way the same way if this is referred to in uh, mycology texts, they refer to mother cells and daughter cells. It's not 
something that I'm just making up for an illustration. The mother cells are able to impart knowledge to the daughter cells, which changes their DNA a bit, so that the medicine that they've been exposed to for all that time is less harmful to the daughter cells. And then as the daughter cells mature and they become themselves mother cells, you now have cells which are much less, uh, uh, much more resistive to that treatment that they've been on than had the mother cells not imparted that data to them. So that's how the drug resistance essentially works in, in Candida. Here's another question we have from someone who, uh, oh, and this is a, <laughs> this is this is a very good question because this is something that I it comes up in my practice quite often. This person writes in and says, um, "Dear Dr. Biamonti, I've been suffering with leaky gut syndrome for many years. I've treated it and tried many different avenues of treatment, and it just won't get better. What would be possibly interfering with my leaky gut from getting better?" Okay, well, firstly, the cause of leaky gut, and for those of you who don't know what leaky gut is, let me give you a, a brief explanation. Leaky gut is technically called intestinal permeability, and leaky gut is a, something which occurs when candida or parasites or harmful bacteria or anything which is a harmful irritant to the intestinal tract causes the intestinal tract to become porous or to physically leak. It damages these intestinal cells and causes them to open up a bit where things will leave the intestinal tract and come into the bloodstream and this causes a whole plethora of allergic reactions and autoimmune reactions. Candida is one of the first things that you normally think of with leaky gut. Candida causes leaky gut syndrome. If you have candida and your candida is not being eliminated by whatever your treatment is, your leaky gut won't go away. Uh, very often we find the most effective treatment for leaky gut is to, to save time would be to treat leaky gut in tandem with candida and as the candida gets better and if your leaky gut uh, treatment is effective you can get the leaky gut improving as you're treating candida uh, if we were going to look at it strictly from a theoretical viewpoint the optimal time to treat leaky gut would be after you had eliminated candida but to save time you can do both at the same time have both treatment programs parallel each other. But the question I have to ask, you didn't put this in the email, but I, I must ask this because this becomes the obvious question, is how do you know you have leaky gut? I would ask, have you been tested for leaky gut? What many people do is they go on the internet and they look at symptoms of leaky gut and they automatically assume they have it and then they begin treating themselves for it. I cannot possibly relate to you how many times this comes up in our practice where a patient comes in and he says I've been treating my leaky gut for X amount of years it hasn't gotten better I don't know what to do this is why I'm coming to you. Well the first thing I do is I ask the person have you been tested? I don't even ask them what their treatment is. I'll ask them have you been tested for leaky gut? And they'll almost always say no. It is rare that I get anyone who tells me, yes, I've been tested for leaky gut and so-and-so. Instead, I hear, no, I haven't been tested for it. So then the first thing I'll do is test them for it. And lo and behold, in the majority of cases, 
the test comes back negative. The person does not have leaky gut. So I'm not going to say your name on the air, but so JP, your initials are JP. So JP, what I would say to you is, um, have you been tested for leaky gut? And if you haven't been tested for leaky gut, the first thing you must do is become tested. You must test to find out if you actually have this. Because what you're undoubtedly doing is you're relying on the symptoms of leaky gut and then concluding that because you have these symptoms, therefore you must have this condition. The thing that you're overlooking is that it's possible to have all the symptoms of leaky gut and yet not have it because the condition of candida itself will cause symptoms nearly identical to leaky gut. So you could be fooled and tricked into thinking you don't really have it. There is also a well, when you do the leaky gut test, let me say this first, you find that there are several different types of leaky gut. In the traditional leaky gut test, it measures the size of molecules that are being allowed to enter your bloodstream from the gut. But we have found over the years that there's also a more subtle type of leaky gut, which is a, I would call it a transient type of leaky gut. In other words, it's a type of leaky gut which is not chronic and not continual, but happens occasionally. When the person's intestinal tract becomes overloaded by allergens, the allergens cause inflammation and will cause the intestinal cells to temporarily split or part, and that gives you a temporary condition of leaky gut, not a permanent one. And that, too, is something you could get tested for. There are blood tests which can give you a, a hint as to whether or not you have that condition. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude our first episode of the Candida Chronicles. And we will be on the air again Tuesday at 4 p.m. and Thursday at 4 p.m. Thank you very much for joining us. And again, any questions anyone has, they're free to put them in to me at drb at health-truth.com and I will answer your questions readily. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. Michael holds a Doctorate of Nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.